This is the We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast, built by anglers for anglers. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of We Fish with Phoenix Boats podcast. I'm your host, Tim Trockenbrew. With me, as always, is my co-host, Brian Travis. And today, we have a special guest calling us in from a country not of this. Not only a country of this, but we're sitting here on Christmas week, and I think you and I can both say with pretty pretty uh, high confidence, we're not going to get any snow down here for Christmas, but I bet you he does. I bet you he does too, and uh, we're going to have with us today Mr. Dave Mercer, tournament MC for the Bassmaster Elite Series, TV personality. Uh, guy's done a lot in the industry here in the last 15, 20 years. He, he has done a lot, and I'll tell you what, you know, I'm, I'm sure most anybody that's listened to us has heard Dave, but if you haven't heard him or seen him live in person at a weigh-in, you know, this term gets used a lot, but his passion bucket definitely overflows when you talk about bass fishing. He just loves the sport. He's all about it. He's all about the history. He knows uh, the ins and outs of it. And and what better person to really have as your MC that can uh, go back and bring up current facts, new facts, know what trends are. And uh, also, he is the intro of our podcast, and this is the first time we're having him on. Yeah, and I, I, I think people probably recognize that, but we've never really announced that. I, I think it took him about a week to get that intro down pat for us. You know? uh, he, he turned it out, and it uh, it really seemed to come along nicely. So let's see if we can't dial up Mr. Mercer. Hopefully he's not snowed in, and uh, get him on the line. Let's do it. At Phoenix Boats, our passion for fishing is obvious. Whether it's a pro event or fishing with our family and friends, we truly love the sport of fishing. That's why our goal is to make every single Phoenix boat that goes out the door the best fishing platform it can be in both design and construction. We love to fish as much as anyone, and we believe it shows in every boat we build. Phoenix Boats, built by anglers for anglers. All right, folks, welcome back. We've got the MC on the line, Mr. Dave Mercer himself, calling in from a snowy, white, wintry Christmas Canada. Dave, what's going on, buddy? You explained it right there. I mean, that's <laughs> literally what it is here right now, which seems so bizarre, to be honest. You know, it just shows how much a creature of habit we all are, because to me, it's like, wow, well, why do we have snow so quick? Well, it's not quick. It's December, obviously. But because our season went so late, it feels like it's quick. You know what I mean? Like, normally, the season ends, and you've got several months to do things, and and then you start thinking about snow, but we're we're already in Christmas, and before you know it, we'll be right back into the season. But I'm still thankful we had a season. No, I think that was great. It was great to see uh, everyone get all the events in. And uh, how did you feel that the fall fall season went? What, what was the the fan reception of that from your perspective? I really, myself personally, as a fan of the sport, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, just because it's not easy. You know what I mean? As a competitor, I think a lot of guys, it was funny because a lot of competitors, I think were really looking forward to it at one point. And then afterwards they're like, well, wait a second. Mm -hmm. Now I realize why hunting so popular in the fall. (laughs) 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 But the cool thing as a fan was we're so used to finishing our season up North where let's be honest, everybody catches them. Even, even when you have a bad tournament, it's a good, fishing day you know what i mean right. you still went and caught a bunch of giant smallmouth 
But the opportunity for failure is what made it so exciting to me. You saw more lead changes in Angler of the Year, uh, Rookie of the Year, just everything. I mean, those classic spots where people got so used to getting to the point where I just need to do this and I'll make it. It took all that away. So so I, re- I really enjoyed it that way. Um, hard to judge, you know, from a crowd standpoint, just because, you know, we simply didn't have a crowd. And when we did have a crowd, it was, you know, a limited crowd. But, um, I mean, I would, I would say it's definitely something that, that as an angler, I, I, I have yet to hear an angler say to me, man, I hated that. It really sucks watching guys, you know, compete under those situations because we learned year after year whatever you predicted doesn't work out like how many people on earth would have predicted the lake fork event to go down the way it did with patrick walters winning it by a 30 pound margin like unreal it's it's insane Mm -hmm. no i think it was uh santee was the one that probably threw the biggest uh lopsided if you were going to bet 50 pounds and April, people would have laughed at you, but 50 pounds was pretty solid for Santee. Yeah. And who would have thought when the schedule got announced that Chick Chick was the one that everybody was going to, you know, be kicking stones up the road. You know, when that schedule first came out, you would think, you know, certain ones you circle, and you're like, wow, this is going to be a slam fest. Mm-hmm. Chick, obviously an incredibly tough tournament. I mean, our eventual angler of the year caught one fish in that entire tournament and man that fish turned out to be Clark Wendlet's most important fish of the season. I think just so, because yeah. without that fish there's no angler of the year title. Mm-hmm. I would have stayed in Tennessee with Mullins. That's right. That's right. right. And we went you want to talk about bizarre experiences, things I never imagined. I mean let's lift the curtain and show what really happened. Right before, you know, like an hour and a half before the weigh in and Clark Wendlet is is literally within two spots of where he needs to be to either get this title or not get this title. So there's a high likelihood that David Mullins may still win it, but he's already back in Tennessee whittling duck calls or something. Yeah, getting <laughs> so ready for the season. Had, I'm backstage on the phone, you know, trying to get trying to get Mullins on the phone and have you know that tactful conversation of I, I know you. You think you lost, but you might not have lost, and you're not here, which will mean you'll really lose. So we need to make a plan. So I had to, I had to put together a makeshift plan with Mullins that, hey, if it gets down to it and you look like you might win it, we'll get you on FaceTime and and make this all official on the stage. So it was a bizarre turn of events. That I mean, that explains my job. There's a lot of those weird things you do behind stage, have those conversations set up those things and and it's just to cover your butt so you don't end up looking like steve harvey (laughs) (laughs) that that was one of the things i really was interested in is how do you prep i mean everything's obviously live when you're on stage but what kind of prep time goes into it and how do you get ready for a for a weigh-in uh well um I'll, i'll be honest i mean prep time for me is my whole life to be honest, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the sport. So the, the, it's not like I sit down with a book and start reading stats on this angler or that angler. I mean, obviously, there's certain events you, you prepare a little more for the classic. I mean, number one, just simply because we have so many anglers that compete in it that, that I don't deal with on a daily basis. You know what I mean? They're not all from the elite series. So you, you, you want to know. My whole take on it is this. I mean, 
I once heard a writer say, you know, a really good writer should, should, you know, tell a story, but never insert themselves in the story. And I try to tell the story about the anglers and try to, to make their winning moment as special as possible and as hyped up as possible without inserting myself in the moment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff that you, you can't prepare for a lot of stuff, but you, but, but, but just knowing, knowing the anglers and, and being a, a real fan. Like, I don't think I could do, if somebody said to me tomorrow, Hey, guess what? I've got a great job for you. You're going to do your job at the LPGA and, and you're going to make more money. And it's going to, and you think that I'd run at that opportunity. But if you're not a fan of the sport, it'd be hard to do. You know what I mean? I think that's one of the unique little things that I have where I'm such a big fan of the sport. I have so much respect for these folks that, that, that I'm able to somewhat make that moment, their moment, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and, 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 and there's a lot, I'll be honest, a lot of the stuff that I've researched over the years, like I have tried to do the book thing. Let's take notes on every angler. And at the end of the events, I go through that book and I start reading and I'm like, I never brought any of that crap. I researched up <laughs> because it doesn't, it doesn't matter until that moment matters. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It doesn't, you, you don't need to know that, somebody has been second in this event three times until they're about to be second again, you know what I mean? Or something like that. Um, so I do a lot of prep, but, but, but to be honest, it's not like I don't sit in front of a, a book and, and, and research these guys. I mean, I'm just a fishing geek. I literally got rid of a VCR just a few years ago because I had it all those years to watch old VHS tapes with, you know, dusty pine and all those dudes winning back in the day up in the uh, up in the thousand islands so research for me is totally um it's just it's my passion you know if i get fired from this job tomorrow i'm still going to be a weirdo who who learns all this stuff i just won't have anywhere to spout it out <laughs> well where did that that sense of passion and being coming a you know a student of the game who who instilled that who was the first person to put a rod in your hands and and open this door that became your life? I think like a lot of people, I was lucky to be introduced to fishing by my dad. You know, my, my dad never took it anywhere near as serious, was never a tournament angler or anything like that, but uh, he loved to fish. And it's weird how life works out. Like everybody has their, their thing. And, and I really do believe that, you know, everybody has a thing they're meant to do or, and when they find that thing, if they work hard enough at it, they can find, you know, success at it in some level, depending on how you judge success. But from day one, from the first time I ever fished, I loved fishing. Like, I was obsessed with fishing. My, my family has this weird story, which I'm sure if I had become a plumber, they'd never tell this story. But, but since I'm a professional angler, it, it's become a fable. And one of those fables that I'm like, I don't even know if I remember it or if I just remember it because I've heard the story so many times. But when I was a little kid, my dad, I, I was born in Ireland. I lived in Ireland until I was five. Really? And, uh, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. I look just like every Irish person you ever imagined. I mean, <laughs> my dad, my dad was, my, my dad was Protestant and my mom was Catholic. So I would tell people that, that made me an immigrant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our family moved to Canada, um, but, but before even moving to Canada and doing all the fishing I did here, I mean, 
allegedly my dad and me were fishing at a spot called Bloody Bridge for mackerel. The first fish I ever caught in my life was was an ocean fish, a mackerel. And we're fishing, and my dad said, well, we're not going to catch them today. You know, we didn't have boats or anything like that. We'd just go to, you know, shore fishing spots. And, and I said, Dad, you got to keep fishing. I smell the mackerel, allegedly. Now, <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't know if I remember this right or not. But within a few minutes, my dad caught his limit of mackerel, and my fate was sealed, I guess, to be a pro angler. I wish I was effective at smelling them today. Quite often, I am not. But uh, I, from day one, I mean, I loved the sport of fishing, and my dad was the guy who put the rod in my hand. And, and I consider myself lucky that way because there's so many people that that just don't get introduced to fishing the, the, the way the lucky ones of us do by our family. So many people have to go out and search it out by themselves. But I was lucky that it was just something my family did, and uh, and it, and then it became something that that not something I did, but but who I was. I mean, every single thing I did for the rest of my life was evolved around fish. You know what I mean? Like whether it, whether it be the jobs that I got, the, the, the girls that I dated, I once dated a girl cause she just had a really good pond full of largemouth. <laughs> Tim, Tim did that too. <laughs> well, I, I still drive past that pond to this day. I don't know if the largemouth are quite as good. Um, <laughs> But yes, I did date a girl once that that, that had a, a pond full of large smoke. So, oh, would uh, she still let you fish uh, there? No, no, she does not live there. Does mm. not live there. It, it, it was a messy breakup. As soon as she realized that I was only interested in her bath, uh, it, it went it went bad. Uh, she she thought I was interested in more than just her bath. <laughs> so we moved from Ireland. We're in Canada. You graduate. You start to try to make it fishing. How, how, what was the hardest part of making that transition when you decided that's what you wanted to do? Mm. I, it was never hard for me, mm-hmm. to be honest. Like, when I think back, I never thought, like, wow, this is going to be hard. Because, like I said, I, I didn't really feel like there was an option to, to not to mm-hmm. do something else. You know what I mean? I was just like, I'm going to be part of fishing. I just don't know how. I just got to figure it out. So I think probably the hardest part, though, was – was convincing people that I was serious, believe it or not. You know what I mean? Like when when you first tell your parents that I'm going to be a pro angler and and you're, number one, you live in, in Canada, um, <laughs> it's a scary, scary thing. So I think, for, like everybody, the, the scariest thing is, is installing faith in your abilities in other people. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. every one of the anglers, whether it's, you know, Greg Hackney, you know, wanting to fish the Bassmaster, whether it's me wanting to be on TV, whatever, it doesn't matter what your dream is. You have to have somebody have faith in you. And I think that the one thing that I've always had going for me is is I was willing to take a risk, you know what I mean, and, and throw it out there. So I'd say probably the toughest part is, is getting people to have, have faith in your abilities. I mean, we all go through the same stuff. We all make that first trip to ICAST when everybody laughs you out of their booth. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's just part of it. It's, it, uh, you know, not not to cause controversy, but it'll probably get your, your this podcast a lot more played. So I guess I'm doing my job. But <laughs> I had that conversation with the Googans years ago because, I mean, there was all this conversation, like everybody talking about the Googans and, and, the, and the guy that I was talking about with the Googans, he's like, man, we want to show the fishing world they screwed up because we went to ICAST and they laughed at us. And I'm like, 
I want to tell you the truth. They laugh at everybody. That's part of that's part of the process. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I'm and I'm sure it's the same when when a kid first walks into a, a locker room, you know, and he wants to make it on a pro team. I'm sure there's people that laugh at, at him too. You know, it's so getting over that and having the confidence in your ability and and and, and finding people that that have that faith in you, I, I think is probably the biggest hurdle. Um, and, and it still is to this day, I think, you, you know, for everybody, you know, to, to, to have people to believe in your dream. I mean, it's a little easier when you're actually doing it and doing some things, but, uh, but you're always, you know, you're always selling people a dream because, mm-hmm. because that is exactly what we're all living. I mean, whether it's a tournament angler, a TV show host, a tournament MC, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're doing things that we were, when we were little kids, we sat on the floor and dreamed of one day doing. I told my dad I wanted to be a pro fisherman when I was a kid, and he said, that's great, but what are you going to do during the week? <laughs> a very, that's a, that is a, a very honest answer, really, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I once dated a girl, true story, and uh, she was, uh, she was uh, I, I believe she's Greek, <laughs> and, uh, and her father her father sat me down and had the big conversation. He's like, so what are you going to do for a living? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a pro fisherman. He looked at me, he's like, how are you going to put food on the table for my daughter as a pro fisherman? And I'm like, just ask yourself that question. What do you mean? How am I going to put, if I can do anything, I might not be able to make a dollar, but I can guarantee you as a fisherman, I can feed your daughter. Yeah. That's about all I can guarantee you I can do. That's awesome. I think you're, you're right. Following your passion. I think that's where a lot of us get to where we're at now. Um, and it is having someone to give you that little bit of belief and, and knowing that you can do it. Yeah. And I think it's the same in every business. You know what I mean? Look, look, you guys are a prime example. Look at Phoenix boats. I mean, it, if, if Gary and Tracy didn't have that kind of passion and belief in themselves, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But ultimately at the beginning, before there was any molds, before there was any boats, what were they selling? They were selling their passion and their and their ability and their faith in themselves to say, we know how to do this better. We know how to do this a different way, or we know how to do this our way, and we believe that's the right way. And and that's really what you have to have. Um, so, I, I mean, for me, I, I, I definitely... I think I only have one thing that goes for me. Really, I, I'm an okay fisherman, but I'm incredibly passionate about the sport. I love what I do, and I think that that shows through in most things that I work at. You know, and I think most people are scared to really reveal that passion. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the first time you walk out on a stage and yell "boom shakalaka," you're going to get some hate, <laughs> but you just you just keep yelling it, and sooner or later people will have shirts with it on it or something. Well, I've always been of the mindset, you know, there's a lot of people that are good at a lot of things, but I've always thought that the passion is what separates the good from the great. Um, you know, you take Michael Jordan in basketball, you know, he had a passion for basketball. So he went, even though he may have been one of the best athletes of his time, he went in and put the work into it because he cared so much. And I think that's really the defining factor between great and good. If you don't have passion, think about it. Think if, he, if Michael Jordan's a prime example. Michael Jordan, maybe, you'd have to ask him, but I would assume was born with a lot of, of God-given abilities and talents and skills. He was always good at basketball. He worked hard at it to get better. But what made him better? 
not those gifts, not those skills. What made him better was his passion to keep working at it. Yep. He, you know, his ability. I once heard a story about, I'm trying to remember who it was with. It was, it was when, when Kobe Bryant passed away, it was an interview with someone and, and they told, they told the story about the first time they played against Kobe. And they said they showed up early in the morning for practice. And, and quite often when I guess when you're on the road, you know, the teams will practice in the same facility. So they see each other, but they kind of avoid each other and whatever. And he showed up and Kobe Bryant was there. Right. And, and he said, well, I'm going to show Kobe Bryant who I am. And he worked his butt off all day and he worked and he stayed hours after what he would normally do in the gym and his workout. And he said, he said it was embarrassing. I was actually in the gym and I'm trying to think of like, I've done everything already. What else can I do? You know what I mean? And he'd go shoot and he'd do whatever. And the reason he kept working out was because he wanted to show Kobe that he could stay longer. But after however many hours, he was like, I got to go. I'm going back to the hotel. So they played the game that night. And then afterwards, they're doing the handshakes. And, and, and this player talked to Kobe and said, hey, man, Kobe, I don't know if you noticed, but I was in the gym. And he said, I knew you were there. And he said, I wanted to prove to you in that moment. He said, we both play a lot of games together. But I wanted to prove to you that there is no way on earth your heart and your passion will ever be bigger than mine. <laughs> and, uh, and Kobe Bryant, and, and, and when you think about it, it's the passion that kept Kobe Bryant working out. It's the passion that made Michael Jordan who it is. It's the passion that, that makes all the anglers who they are. You know what I mean? Like if you could be a hotshot angler with all the best technology. I mean, sometimes in our world, we, we hear too many young pros talking about all I need is sponsors. You can have all the sponsors, you can have all the stuff, but if you don't have that passion and that work ethic, it, it's not going to last. Mm -mm. And uh, so what I'm saying, guys, is I'm a passionate man. Well, I think everyone who, who sees you weigh in and uh, the way you uh, keep the crowd energized, I think everyone can feed off that passion for sure. It's the, this is the most amount of passion that's ever been talked in a bass fishing podcast ever, really. I mean, <laughs> this is not the topic I expected us to, to end up on, but I mean... We're deep thinkers, Dave. I We're deep know. thinkers. You take it in another direction. You, you, <laughs> you, you, it's not all about how many strands on the spinnerbait, is it? Right. No, no. So tell me that first classic you did in Louisiana. First day on stage. Yeah. What was your hype song? What was my hype song? I mean, like, you went out there cold, or did you have a hype song? I would have had a hype song. Like, in your head, I didn't like... Have a hype song. Wow. So I you had know. that much passion I, I feel... with no hype song. Well, no, I'm sure I listen to... I always listen to music before Wayne, actually. That's kind of what I... I do. I always do. Just because, number one, when you have headphones on, people will not ask you questions. <laughs> so a lot of times, you know, you're busy and you got a lot of stuff going on, especially at an event like the Classic. So I try to always listen to music and stuff like that, but I don't remember exactly what my the song I was listening to was. I do know that that I that I I think I, I think it was the first Classic. They asked me what song I wanted to come out to, and I'm like, I don't have a intro song i mean i wish i did i wish it was a wrestler and had an intro song but i said just play whatever song you want i learned my lesson because i came out to dude looks like a lady <laughs> so, um, <laughs> i 
so now I always tell them whatever song to play. I think they've been playing Cult of Personality by Living Color for the last few years, stuff like that. But that first classic, I'll tell you, it was um, what a way to start. I mean, start at the classic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't nervous, but I was uncomfortable. I, I think I ex- I've explained it to people. People are like, were you nervous? Like, I wasn't backstage pacing and nervous and I would, but because I know what the role is and, and because I've grown up loving it, I respected it enough that there was a very much uncomfortable, like, Hey, I don't want to screw this up. And you know, there's, there's timing, you know, like I, me and Trip had to get used to how long it takes him to weigh the fish. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there is, it's like any job, you know, you need to get used to your, your new work environment. So it, it's a, it is a weird way to start, but, but it's, uh, it's the classic. I mean, there's nothing like it. I remember after that tournament sitting with Tommy and Zona and thinking, you know, I'm just zapped, you know. And that was also the one where we had like three-hour fog delays every morning and, and Trip and Chuck and all the guys working for Bass. Don't get yourself wrong. They're no different than anybody else you work with at a factory. I mean, they make the new guys at the factory do some stuff that you might not make the old guys at the factory do. So the first three days of the event, or the all three days of the event, we had three-hour fog delays. And they're like, just keep talking, keep interviewing people. Like nowadays, I'd take a break, and I'd. Be- That's why by the end of that classic, it was KVD Clans Door on number four because I had no voice. Uh, but I remember Tommy and Zona saying to me, "Man, wait till we get to the elites. You'll like them so much better." And I thought, how could they say that? Like, it, this is the classic. There's mm-hmm. nothing better. But they were right. The elites are better because that's when I get a chance to, you know, talk to anglers and to hang out more, and it's more casual, and it's, it, so it's a very different thing. But uh, that's the longest answer ever. To I don't remember what my song was, but yeah, the classic's fun. <laughs> so, so if you were a wrestler, what do you think your stage name would be? Oh, true story. Yeah. Um, let's. I'll tell you. I once pitched a wrestler. This is the nut job I am. Before I ever got this job, when I was a teenager, I was like, I don't know if you realize this, but I watched a lot of wrestling growing up. Two things I watched in past fishing and wrestling. If you watched the past master way in, that's shockingly apparent. Um, but but I, I wanted to work for WWE um, or Bass. That was kind of my thing. And I once pitched wrestlers to them, and, th- and they were going to be referees, and their name was Law and Order. Me and my buddy were going to be tag team champions. All we were lacking was, was, was the muscle mass and physical ability, but Law and Order was going to be those characters' names. There were two referees that always turn on the angle and turn on the, turn on the wrestlers. That's but awesome. so I, I'd go with Law and Order. I'll stick with my original. Law and Order would I'd be half of a tag team. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. That first year on the elites, coming up with uh, nicknames for folks, I've always wondered. Naturally, does someone come up to you and go, "Hey, you got to call me Rooster" or something, or do you just give them a tagline and and roll with it? Uh, it's funny because um, all of them have different tales. You know what I mean? Like some of them, uh, some of them came, you know, with, with nicknames. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like I, I mean, some of some guys are are just. That's their name. That's their nickname. Um, and some things come up from different people, you know, and some things just come up. Like you mentioned Rooster, and uh, I would call Greg Vincent the Rooster. And the reason I called him, that is literally just one of his buddies one day at takeoff said to me, you didn't call him the Rooster. He's the Rooster. 
And I looked at him, and just the way his red hair was that day, I'm like, he is the freaking rooster. So he became the rooster. Uh, but some of it you think about, like some of it was earlier this year, Austin Felix. Austin Felix is an awesome dude, but, man, he is as – he reminds me of my son. My son Jack is 14 years old. He is like every other 14-year-old there is out there. He wakes up with a messy bedhead and wanders around until you force him to do something. You know what I mean? And when I watch Austin fish, I feel like the same. But I remember watching him in South Carolina, and I'm like, man, this dude is the freaking sleepy assassin. But it's also at the same time. I'll give you the whole behind the scenes. So there was a Bassmaster writer. I'm not going to give you his name, but he tried to interview Austin the day before or a few days before. And he said, Austin's just not very interviewable. He just doesn't give you much to work with. And I got mad at him because I kind of feel like that's our job to help those guys give you something to work with. Um, so that's kind of where the whole sleepy assassin came from. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I started calling him that the next day and it was fitting and it made sense. And so everything's got like a different, different kind of, you know, way about it. Like every single piece of, stuff that I say on stage has a story. Like one of the most bizarre ones is the let's get ready to weigh them. That was when I first started and, and some good dude sent a scathing, scathing message and just said that I was ruining the sport of bass fishing. And when I go up there, I introduce them like they're prize fighters and, and it's the worst thing to ever happen to professional bass fishing and they should get rid of me. So I responded to him and I said, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but if you do, you really should watch today's weigh-in. Um, <laughs> so that's why, and that's why that was the first time I ever did the Let's Get Ready to weigh him. Just because, obviously, it's a rip-off of Let's Get Ready to Rumble from boxing and that sort of thing. And it was supposed to be something I did once ever and uh, just to mess with that guy, but it, it, it kind of took, and now I get in trouble if I don't say it. Um so everything's got a story, but there's not one formula, you know, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, and it's, and it, and it's not like you join the elite series and all of a sudden, boom, you get a nickname, you know, some people get them. Some of them come from me. Some of them come from Zona. Some of them come from Tommy. They, it, they all come from different areas. So do you have anyone that's like, man, I've been here two years. You haven't given me a nickname yet. Oh, yeah. That mm -hmm. person will never get a nickname. <laughs> because, I mean, I had a buddy in high school who showed up one year after summer with his car, and he had, like, personalized plates, Casper. I mean, and he drove this white car, and I guess his nickname was now Casper. He's like, my buddies call me Casper. And we're like, but we're your buddy. <laughs> you, can't, you can't create your own nickname. So, uh, no, but there is a couple of guys who are like, who? You haven't given me a nickname. I mean, one of them was definitely Clark Winlet this year after one angry year. He's like, man, I need to ask you something serious. And I'm like, what? And I really thought he was being serious. He's like, how come you've never given me a nickname? And I'm like, because you're freaking Clark Winlet. You know what I mean? There's certain, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there's there's certain people that, that you know, have a nickname. I don't, I wish there was more of a science to it because I do get in trouble. I mean, people do come up and be like, well, where's my nickname? I've been here a year and a half and I've got nothing. Um, Brandon Card's real bad for it too. He's begging for a nickname. And it'd be so easy to call him the card or whatever, but because he keeps begging for a nickname, I'm never giving him one. Well, <laughs> and I think like personality has so much to do with the nickname too, because it's got to fit. 
and you need to own it. Yeah. I'll be honest. You, you need to, went, you know what I mean? The first time I said Sleepy Assassin, like, I don't go to the guys and be like, hey, I got this idea. How about we try this Sleepy Assassin thing? It's not like that. I mean, I just do it, and and some of it works, some of it doesn't. But I remember the first time I said Sleepy Assassin, Austin, like, at, it was at takeoff, and Austin, like, in the middle of takeoff, he's, you know, three boat lengths away from me at this point. He turns his head and, like, looks right back at me and, gives me like the gun shot, the shooter McGavin shot yeah. back at me when I, I said that. And I'm like, see, dude is embracing it. And yep. if you, if you, that's what makes it work though. You know what I mean? If you don't, like I have had guys that don't really embrace their nicknames and hate them. And those ones kind of go away. Mm-hmm. I still think the hog snatcher is one of my favorites. That's the Zona one. That, and that isn't even me. I got to give, Credit where credit's due. That was one thousand percent his owner nickname, the Furious Hog Snatcher. Started as the Hog Snatcher, then it became Furious uh, because he wasn't being furious enough. <laughs> that is a good one. What which ones have da- uh, has Davy come up with? Has Davy had any good ones? Well, now you're really putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> I don't know that Davey we can edit this out. Nickname. Yeah, yeah. Well, now Davy comes up with a lot of great things, but I don't know that. And, and, and that being said. I could be totally wrong, but I don't know of, of Davey's nicknames. Let's just say, I mean, he, he created KVD, actually. I was wrong. Davey created KVD just a little while ago. I'm just making that part up, but it could be true. <laughs> I was like, KVD, yes. could be. I still, uh, when I think about Davey, I love that when he busted that egg on that flipping contest. <laughs> that, that, one, and one Davey's shot. another one. Like, how do you give Davey Hyde a nickname? You know what I mean? It's also your name, too. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if you're Davey, you almost don't need a nickname. Like, if he had to roll around with, I'm Davis Height. He needs a nickname, but he's Davey Height. He, I, I don't know. I mean, but then again, you know, Kevin Van Dam doesn't need a nickname, and he's got, like, seven of them. So, it's, it, 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 uh, it, some people get them, some people don't get them, but it, it, it makes it fun, right? It's a fun way for people to, um, connect with anglers. I tell the anglers all the time, man, you want to give the crowd, the followers, the people that love this sport, you want to give them a reason to cheer for you other than your zip code. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is if you're from Tennessee, of course, you're going to get a pop from the Tennessee people. You know what I mean? If you're from Florida, the Florida people are always going to cheer for you. But you've got to give them a reason to cheer for you and and, and move outside of that. Um, and And some of the guys with name, you look at Seth Fighter, the amazing fighter man. I mean, he, he uh, embraced it and has, if you look at his career over the last number of years, it's, it's crazy how it's continued to evolve. You know what I mean? And how, and some of the weirdest, weird old Bob Downey. I mean, new guy in the elite series, Bob Downey. He, it, he's old Bob because he's the oldest young man on earth. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at the young man, but he acts like an old man. And that was Joby from Minkota that was like, you need to call him Old Bob. So I did it just because Joby said he'd buy me a beer if I called him Old Bob when he weighed in. <laughs> and, and I'm still trying to earn those beers, I guess. So I'm going to guess that nicknames are just like your catchphrases, the synonymous five-second clips that are in every commercial we see, the unbelievables, the slams the door on number four. All of that is seat of the pants, or have you put any kind of preconceived thoughts into it? Uh, all of that is fly by the seat of the pants, um, and and simply just because I don't watch 
the last day of the classic, like especially the afternoon. I might see some of it because I got to be involved in the class in the coverage in the morning. But in the afternoon, I don't even watch it just because I want my reaction to be real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you go up there with a preconceived thing, and I'll be honest. There's been times where I've tried to read, uh, I've tried to think things. Like early in my career, I tried to think, oh, if this guy wins, what should I say? And whenever I listened to it back, it sounded so cheesy and so kind of scripted. So I fly by the seat of my pants, like actually on the unbelievable one, which is probably the, you know, I, I mean, that's the one I think was kind of most fitting, you know, to, mm-hmm. for what happened and who he is and everything. And the first time I said it, if you hear me, I just say unbelievable. And then I like, you could see it. Like if you look at the footage, it's all edited now. But if you go look at that raw thing, you hear me say, unbelievable. And then I, the next time I'm out, like, unbelievable. Because in my head, it's actually coming together in that moment. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it, And that's exactly what I felt it was. Because I had no idea Jordan was going to win that first classic. You know what I mean? It, me and him were joking backstage the whole time. He's like, the longer I stay, the more I get paid. Like, he, he didn't expect to win it. There was 14 guys ahead of him. Not all of them are not going to catch him. Um, so, yeah, definitely fly by the seat of my pants. And um, some of them work and <laughs> some of them don't. And and one thing I will tell you about all that stuff is I don't say it near as much as you hear it. <laughs> People hate some of that stuff because they think I say, boom, shakalaka, giant bat 17 times away. Well, I don't. I say it usually like once. And the only reason I say it once is because when I don't, I get in trouble from some little kid while I'm walking to the parking lot for not saying it. <laughs> so I always make sure to say it. But, you know, Bass, I mean, when they're putting the highlight reels and stuff, they put some of those calls under it, which I appreciate it. But it seems like I say a lot of that stuff a lot more than I do. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's all fly to the seat of your pants. I actually had thought of one as KVD, but he, he's not with us. Uh, on the Bassmaster Elite Series anymore. So he's going to have to figure out a way to get back to the Classic. Because I did pre-think number five for him. Because, I mean, it was going to be such an iconic moment, but he screwed it up. And by the time he makes it back, I'll probably have forgotten what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned uh, taking, a, taking a little bet from Joby to get a, get a beer there. Is there any new rules about bringing beer on stage nowadays? No. No, I don't do that unless we create them on this podcast. I don't. <laughs> I, I I didn't. Uh, I think that that whole beer thing, and Corey did not. For those of you who didn't know, Corey Johnson, uh, one of the Canadian anglers in the Elite Series, chugged a beer. Became the first guy to chug a beer on the Bassmaster <laughs> Classic stage at last year's Classic. He did not bring the beer. It was a uh, spectator that handed him the beer from the crowd. Um, uh, Corey did tell me the beer was warm and not a very good one. Uh, <laughs> that's why I chugged it. There, there's, that, it's, that's right. And there's no rules. And if you listen very closely, I try to have their back as often as possible. Every single one of those guys, you listen. At one point when I'm interviewing them, the beer's sitting there, right? And, the, and you can hear the people in Splash Roller yelling, drink the beer, drink the beer. Like the crowd can't hear it, but I can hear that. So and I can see. Corey's a little apprehensive because Trip is the most intimidating dude that's not six feet on earth. I mean, if you if you're an angler, you're scared of Trip Weldon. You don't want to get in trouble with Bassmaster Classic. So I said right on stage, I said, "Well, Corey, you've 
officially been eliminated from this tournament because he didn't make day number three. So you're not competing anymore. So if you ask me, that means you're free and clear to drink that beer if you want to right now. So I I took the the bullet for him if it was going to be a problem. But Trip laughed about it. I mean, it's who there doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, it's fun. I don't think there's any rules, but if we keep talking about it, there will be. Well, that's what was crazy. I was actually there watching the weigh-in that day. And um, I thought it was, it was pretty neat. I think it's one good form where the the fans do get to be that up close and personal, you know, to the spec to the to the pros. Yeah, that that well, I mean, and that wasn't always like that. We started doing the splash well, I guess, four or five years ago, and, and that was kind of um, that came from from uh, I think it that started in Philly. Really, we had that tournament in Philly. If you remember how crazy it was. Mm-hmm. And I love that feeling. And I remember me and Mike McKinnis afterwards going back and talking and being like, we need to find a way to get the crowd right in front of the stage, especially at the classic. And uh, because nobody sees that, you know what I mean? Uh, up till that point, if you think about it, you, nobody sees all that passion from the crowd. You know what I mean? They see a big wide crowd shot, but they don't see all the kids with the GoPro sticks and the excitement and the, you know, them getting the opportunity to high five their hero and, so that's why we started doing the splash well, and it's been a huge. I love it. It's one of my favorite parts about the classic. It, uh, it, it's probably totally against everything that COVID has regulations there's <laughs> ever been. So let's hope that this uh, this shot works, so we can all get it's, back to. It's know, all it's all good. Fishing fishing is an approved outdoor activity. So oh, good. We're good. <laughs> good. That, we're great. That is one thing about our sport that like. I mean, you can't hand LeBron a beer as he walked off the off the court. You can't high five. I mean, you're up in the stands and everything, but to be that close, up and personal, it's not like you can go to pit cars or pit row and see all the cars there. Like you can these boats coming through the stadium. I mean, it is a, a really cool feature of our sport. Yeah, I, I agree, and I've thought about that a lot, guys. You know what I mean? Over the years, because you hear people say that, like you've heard that from how many different people? You know, our guys are different. And, these guys, and I've really thought about it because you you want to lean towards, well, are they really that different? Um, or are they, are we just saying they're different? You know what I mean? It's kind of like kids. Everybody thinks their kids cute, and they're not all cute. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but But I think that our guys are special, and what I mean by that is, is because they're so different than a LeBron. They're so different than a, a Patrick Mahomes. You know, I got to throw a Chiefs reference in there. Sorry. Um, so different than a Derrick Henry. That makes you guys feel better. Nah, uh, not really. Not really. <laughs> he play, he Keep rolling. I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> but but what I mean by that is is everybody that is part of this sport. Not to go back to that passion word, but that's why they're here. They love it. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter the angler. Aaron Martin didn't grow up and have people being like, man, you you could be a rich pro angler one day. He His dream was just to fish. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to be able to fish for a living. And if you think about that as a football player, a baseball player, by the time you're 12, 13 years old, People are telling you, you know, this is a business. This is, you need to take this serious. You need to, so all of that become it becomes a business quick. And, and it becomes a way of making a living. And a lot of that love and passion 
although you still love basketball, the basketball you love is so far behind and so different than what you are today. And for our anglers, I don't think that's the case. And I think this year of all years proved it. I mean, when everything shut down, when everybody stopped working, what did what did all the anglers do? They went fishing. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what that's that's what they are. That's who they are. And I, and I think that's what makes them different. You know what I mean? I, there's been some incredibly financially successful pro anglers over the years, but that was nobody's goal. Nobody gets into it to be like, man, I'm going to be a multi-millionaire from fishing. They get into it thinking, man, I just hope. This is what I can do. I can tell people I fish for a living. And uh, I think that's what makes our guys different. And I also think that's what makes our fans different, too. You know what I mean? Like when you meet a LeBron as a kid or a basketball player, a baseball player, doesn't matter the sport, you probably feel that's the closest you're ever going to get to that sport. But the difference in bass fishing is year after year, we see it all the time where the person who wins our biggest event at some point in the last 10 years sat in those seats and was dreaming about being at that event. Um, and it's realistic that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can work for a boat company and be like, man, I'm going to make the Bassmaster Classic. And, and I think that's what makes our sport so different because it is achievable and realistic if you're willing to work at it. I've never thought of it that way, but I like that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's just a, it's a little, it's different, right? I think, yeah, I think that, and and the the fact of the matter is, is you know their working platform is everybody a water, and so if you're around there fishing, you're you're going to run into them. Um, you know, yeah. they're, they're not practicing an indoor closed facility or anything like that, so you have access to them. If you're down at Gunnersville, you're going to see a bunch of the guys. You know, that live down there. For sure, for sure, yeah, and 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 they get used to dealing with them while they're competing too. Like you imagine if LeBron had to ask somebody to move off the court so he could take a free throw. Free yeah. throw. <laughs> it's like Shooter Here's McGavin it. and Happy Gilmore. We're gonna make another <laughs> reference. Yeah. <laughs> I make a lot of Happy Gilmore references. That's quality <laughs> film. Top three Adam Sandler for sure. It, it, I, it's a film that I love. I didn't realize how many Happy Gilmore references I make during a weigh-in, but um, Eric Elo, who works for Bass, once pointed it out. That I, I, I mean, I, I throw a happy learned how to plot out for no reason every once in a while. The Happy Gilmore check, obviously the Phoenix Boats Big Bass Award, and that sort of I mean, big fan of Happy Gilmore. It's a quality film. Well, looking forward to next year. We brought Gunnersville up, so I'm just thinking – that schedule for next year. What are your thoughts? Are you excited? Yeah. I mean, I'm excited that we have a schedule. I mean, I think, uh, I, um, I think first of all, the people that had to put the schedule together, kudos to them. I mean, you want to talk, it's tough to put a, a tournament schedule together on a regular year, but, but to put a tournament schedule together with everything that's going on in the world is, is, Really unfathomable. So I'm pretty excited about it. I mean, we're kicking it off in Palatka. It's going to be a great event. You know, you want to talk about a year for crowds. I mean, we're in Palatka where we get giant crowds. We're in Orange, uh, Texas, where we get giant crowds. We're in Waddington where, you know, has the record crowd. So I pray that we can have crowds back and be normal because uh, if we can have crowds back, it is going to be uh, a very, very busy year as far as crowds that weigh in. But it's going to be a fun tournament season. I mean, it, no better test than going from Palatka, Florida on Valentine's Day. Nothing says love like Palatka. And then heading 
to Knoxville, Tennessee, the very next week for your next event. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's going to be temperature shock, even for a Canadian. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that's going to be good. And I'm glad to see the Sabine come back on that. I've always said that's one of my favorite events. Uh, the grinders like that. Um, I think we got to see a little glimpse of that this fall who can grind and, and Sabine's always been that way. So I'm excited for that. And I definitely like that Alabama swing, Neely Henry, finally getting an elite, not a big fan of Neely Henry, but I'm interested to see how, how that one plays out, especially after that open this fall. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you, that we haven't been there, uh, you know, Neely Henry, definitely one I'm looking forward to. Um, Gunners, but I mean, you, the cool thing, a lot of times people get down on, on schedules, you know, the, first thing you hear from somebody is well they go to the same lake but the, the the amazing thing as an angler is look at all the gunnersville tournaments look at all the waddington tournaments even it's always something different you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's so fair that you oh they're going to be here so they're going to be catching them this way you know it, it it never sets up how you plan it to be and it's the same for anglers like think of how often you see an angler and you say, what was your best finish this year? And they tell you, and then you ask them, where would that have been on the, on the list of commands before the season started? You'd be like, Oh, that would have been the last one I would have picked, you mm-hmm. know, but it, it, it uh, you never know what they're going to bring. So I think, I think it'd be cool. And I, and I think orange gets uh, the Sabine river gets, it's a lot better than it once was when we first went there. I mean, you know, Hackney won it the last time we were there. He didn't run that, you know, it, it got a big referee. You have to run a hundred miles to catch him type thing. Hackney was running, you know, less than 15 minutes from the boat ramp, you know, and uh, it caught a ton of fish. Um, so I, I'm, I'm interested to see how that fish is this time around. It seems to be getting better every single time we're there. I'll be interested to see that. And, uh just speaking of this uh, Alabama swing, we still have a whiskey barrel of yours that we need to send back with you, or we're going to lose it. I was expecting it to show up in my boat this year, but it did not. We so were worried about I, customs, I thought, honestly. I thought it was a Phoenix pack. By, by losing it, he means it's going to be in his garage. Yep. I've got a perfect spot for it, so. <laughs> well, I, um, I mean, uh, I kind of accepted that it was gone already, to be honest. <laughs> If you take it, just send me pictures, okay? <laughs> no, I want to bring it, and I want you to just have to carry it with you. I'm going to come to Neely. I'm going to meet you down in Gadsden. You're just going to have to bring it with you that whole month you're here. Just lug it I, everywhere. I, I, can, I can put a whiskey barrel to work. <laughs> well, we know you're uh, – hey, did your snowplow work when you got home? Just real quick. <laughs> it did. Oh, good. Yes. That's where I was at. I know, I know you got a lot to do, so we're going to be wrapping up, but I do have a question. And and I think you're just Brilliant. the guy to answer it. I've never ridden a snowmobile. Do you own snowmobiles? I do. So I do. is it like riding uh, a four wheeler or what what's it like? It's not like a four wheeler. It's like you imagine a, it's a, like a super high performance four wheeler is what I would compare it to. Just because you're so low to the ground. You know what I mean? Like you think of a, a four wheeler, how much higher you are. Yeah. Think of it if you could just lowered a four wheeler. And made it a lot faster and turn, you know, on dimes. It feels like a Formula One car. It's a lot of fun. You guys need to come up here and uh, and experience it. I'm how, telling you. It, it, how fast will they run? Oh, you, you, there's one to, there's one to 150 oh, wow. miles now. Like, I mean, there's race flags wow. that do quarter miles and stuff like that. I mean, it depends on, on what direction you want to go with it. But there is... Uh, 
it's incredible. I mean, it's a lot of fun. It, um, it, it's scary where I live because it seems like people like to go through the, you know, we've got like a skiff of ice on the lake right now. There will be people out here this weekend trying to find out how much ice it takes to float a, a snowmobile. I usually kind of wait a few weeks, but uh, it, it's a cool, cool thing to do. What do kids in Canada get first, a snowmobile or a car? Is there a license for a snowmobile? No, okay. Yeah, you need a license. You need a license, but you need to be like 12 to get it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, snowmobile first. I mean, for the record, I had a bass boat before I had a car, just because my theory was I got buddies with trucks that'll totally freeload on my bass boat. <laughs> but <laughs> Not a so bad approach. A car, I, yeah, wasn't ever a hard thing to find somebody to tow it. Well, and like I've always had an issue, and, and I get it because the ice is so thick, but it blows my mind when you go set up an ice fishing shack and you're setting a fire on top of the ice that you have your shack setting on, and you're just fishing away. I'll be honest, guys. I mean, the last topic we talked about in ice fishing have a lot in common, and the topic I'm talking about is the whiskey barrels. Really? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to explain ice fishing to you. It's the only option we got. Yeah, it, you know, it, it, I, I, once I started working for bass and started traveling a lot down south in the winter, I stopped ice fishing near as much just simply because, uh, you know, it, it it sucks. I mean, you're drilling a hole in the ice. I mean, it's an experience, and if you guys come up, you'll enjoy it, and we'll have fun and everything. But it's 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 the alternative. It's what else are we going to do? You know. But if you really think about it, go to your favorite fishing hole. Think of just fishing by just dropping your bait right off the side of the boat and you can't move all day. You just sit there. So <laughs> it's kind of like going hunting. If you're a hunter, it's kind of like going in the woods with your gun and just like walking around and just shooting it up in the air every once in a while and hoping that you'll, you'll <laughs> run into a duck. <laughs> no, I've heard it's, it, it's fun, but it's one of those things that I, I don't know. I just can't do the cold. I can't see you sitting there for long. Uh-uh. Speaking of cold, I, I have to tell you guys something. You you have no idea how much myself and the crew love you guys this year. Because the beginning of the year when I ordered my boat, you guys said, would you want seat heaters in it? Which I thought was a joke, literally. I'll be honest. I was like, oh, they're making a Canadian joke. So, of course, rather than appease the Canadian joke, I just said, yeah, put seat heaters in it. Well, said boat shows up with seat heaters in it. That is by far the greatest feature ever on a bass boat. It's better in your bass boat than it is in your car. I'm serious, man. Mm -hmm. And it totally blew me away because in your car, you put it in and it makes you nice and cozy when you first get in. You know, you don't have those cold seats first thing in the morning. This is like when you're running down the lake and, you know, it's rough and nasty and cold and you get that kind of cold right down to your bones where... You know, you don't wake up, you don't warm up until you have a shower later on that day. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's that kind of cold. This avoids all that just because, you know, you've got that warming trend. The only problem I have is our camera guys won't shoot anything. If you watch this year's show, you'll realize that every single angle is from a seated position. (laughs) (laughs) But it is the greatest feature ever, guys. I, I, I I don't think you guys even realize how awesome it is until you use it in some really cold weather. 
Oh, I had them on at 45 degrees the other day. I thought they were the greatest thing yeah. ever. I was going to say, Hartung had a big push for that, but you got to understand it's 40 degrees here today, and he's walking around with three jackets on in the office. So <laughs> it's uh, I, I, Like I said, when I first got it, I was like, oh, they're really putting the heaters in the seat. But it, it is, I'm going to tell you, everyone, every company in the world is going to knock it off because it is the coolest coolest thing there is out there um it's uh one of those creature comforts that uh i'm spoiled now if you ever send me a post that doesn't have seat heaters i'll be like wow my buttocks are freezing (laughs) (laughs) well dave man we appreciate it i know uh you got some new projects we're working on the the new podcast with luke duncan so wish you some success with that and youtube i know you've been putting a lot of content out there and uh got a lot of following so we wish you a lot of luck with that and so have a safe and Merry Christmas, and we'll hope to see you down south of the border in uh, in February. Yeah, I look forward to it. And, uh, yeah, LD and the MC is a lot of fun. Hopefully uh, hopefully some of the viewers will, will tune in and check it out. It's, I mean, it's kind of our unbiased, open, and honest opinion of what's going on in the, in the bass fishing world. Actually, a lot more fun. And I guess you guys have already experienced that, you know, I really enjoy the podcast end of things just because, it doesn't have the time limits that other stuff has. You know what I mean? Like normally you get on, you're like, okay, I got to get my points out in two and a half minutes here. And then we're done. Um, podcast, you can go back and forth and have ridiculous conversations like we did here today. So thanks for having me on and uh, Merry Christmas and happy new year to all. Oh, you too. Thank you, Dave. See you buddy. Thanks guys. <laughs>